This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. We thank you, dear God in heaven. There is hope in your name, O God. Lord, we glorify you. We thank you, Lord, for this time around your word. We pray, Lord, you'll speak to us. You'll encourage us, Lord God. We pray, Lord God in heaven, that you'll speak with us, Lord. We know it's your will. We know it's your desire, Lord, to speak to your children, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you're glorified and that you're lifted up, Lord, and all is said and done. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to 2 Samuel. Um, I've got a uh, short message tonight for all those who are looking forward to getting out and seeing some more of the bonfires burning. (laughs) No, I've got a short message tonight um, because I'm roasting and I didn't... (laughs) I should have done what Martin did and took off the tie, you know, but... Right about now, I'm just hoping this is waterproof. (laughs) So 2 Samuel. And I want to just read one verse from 2 Samuel 21, and then I'm going to get into 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 21, and the very last verse, verse verse 22. It says there, these four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Second Samuel 22 verse 1 says, And David spake unto, spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies. Now I realize that these verses might not have actually happened the day after each other, but there is a, a correlation between them because the idea is on 2 Samuel 22, verse 1 there, he says, he, he sang this, uh, the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. The previous verse there talks about the four giants, four other giants that were defeated. And here he is singing the, the words of this song unto the Lord. And if you scoot down, I want to actually focus on verses uh, 30. Uh, I start there, and this is the actual reading. That was just way of background to where I'm heading to with this message. So 2 Samuel 22, verse 30, it says, For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord, and who is a rock save our God? God is my strength and my power, and, my, and he maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet, and setteth my feet upon my high places. He teaches my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken in mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, so that my feet did not slip." The title of the message tonight is Thy Gentleness Has Made Me Great. David is sitting, king of Jerusalem, in the palace. 
a far cry from his origins. He's in the palace. He's been king for a while. He's been successful in battle. We all know of his mistakes. I'm not focusing on those today. But he's sitting as king in the palace of the city that he had claimed, Salem, and converted to Jerusalem. And it was the city of David. And here he was in his palace. And the word comes to him. The last of the big giants has gone. The big sixer, as I like to call them, six fingers and six on each hand, six toes on each feet, each foot, has finally been defeated. I'm sure David reflected on his life at that point. He thought about where he had come. He thought about everything that had happened. He thought the things he had come through. This was the son of Jesse, come from humble origins to sitting in the castle, sitting in the, 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 the city, in the royal palace. He thought about the days whenever he was originally came onto the scene of time for us in many ways. We think of back to the day whenever he went out to the front lines where his brothers were fighting, the Philistines were on one side and the, the, king, the, the children of Israel were on the other and Goliath was standing in the, in the middle. And if you remember the verses and you remember that story, you remember he went to this brook and he gathered five stones. He was a young man then. He was full of energy, full of enthusiasm, full of faith, full of possibilities in what God could do. This is the kingdom of God. These are the people of God and we are the people of God. And what we're facing a giant, oh, look what he's saying. This is just terrible. And I'm sure he was prepared that day to take all five of the giants on. Time had passed and he hadn't. He defeated one of them and the others were out on the scene. He, I'm sure at this point he reflected on his life, thought about his life, all he'd gone through because he wasn't that young man he was back then. He wasn't as full of energy and he, he wasn't as full of vitality as he was. Sure, his mind was as sharp, his ability to maneuver and to work out tactician and a strategy and stuff like that was as sharp as ever, I'm sure. But his body was weakened by his age. It actually says there, if you read the verses, it said that he, he went to fight against one of the, the giants. I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce his name. And he was almost killed. And one of his men stepped in and killed the giant for him. So he was just that little bit weaker. And he reflected, my, I can remember the day I killed Goliath. I can remember gathering those five stones. I can remember, you know, I actually think, yeah, I think I was prepared to take all five on that day. And maybe he could have, but they weren't all there. But he thought about how his life had changed dramatically, dramatically from those days, tending the sheep of his father, out, in the, out, out for all day at least with the sheep on his own, spending time with the sheep and looking after them. He had gone through, the, through his life. He had become a servant of Saul after he had slain, after he had slain Goliath. He had worked in the palace. He had played music for him. He'd become a captain of his guards or of a body of guard anyway. He'd married one of Saul's daughters. He'd been in the exile. He'd been, oh, it's a story and a half. It's an epic to be read. And here he was as king of Israel. And he's reflecting back on his life. Here the last of the biggest obstacles. I originally started out thinking I was gonna face. The last is gone. And he starts out and he reflects and he says, thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation and thy tenderness hath made me great. Mighty King David reflects on the gentleness of God 
thy gentleness hath made me great. It stands at odds from the man who David was. David was the mighty warrior. He had got a reputation for aggressiveness. He had a, a, a reputation for being vicious. He had a reputation for being a tactician, as I said. But one of the things we love about David is his honesty. Read his Psalms, read his story. There's so much honesty in the things that he feels and the things that he, 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 he says and the things that he believes. And he, he just, it's so great because he just pours it out there and we can identify with it. You know, he gets challenged on things that he's done wrong and his first response is, oh, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. I have sinned before God. It's that brutal honesty, which is one of the most endearing qualities of David. As I said, he was not a soft man. He was a shepherd in his early life. Shepherds aren't soft men. In our world, in Ireland, they might be a little bit softer. They might be. But in the East, they're not soft men. There were men who were, they, we don't have wild beasts to protect our sheep from. We've got fences, we've got nicely stoned walls and things like that. They don't have that out there. These are men who are aggressive, men who are armed to the teeth, men who stand or, or build a, a small tower or something that they can look out and watch, men who scar the horizon. We went on safari. We know what it was like looking for animals. We were like this every minute just to see if we could see something. And that's what he would have been like sitting up there and maybe just sitting and standing and looking around. And, oh, there's something over there. I better go over and investigate. And he's not going to go over there and just clap his hands and boo, boo, boo. He's going to go over there and he's going to get violent. He's going to get aggressive. He's going to deal with the threat in the way that it needs to be dealt with. He's a, he's a manly man. As, a, as a friends of ours would say, he's an alpha male. He is a man. He is take charge, a man of action, decisive. In the days of, of David, the kingdom, uh, as king, they had been days marked by that. In many ways, you'd look at his life and you would say, he's a, a self-made man. He's a, a, a man of the world, you know, because he was aggressive. And here he is reflecting and saying, thy gentleness has made me great. You know, we're always curious about the great men of this world, great explorers and great discoverers and great warriors, Nelson and Wellington and Captain Cook and, and all the rest. And, and we're just curious about what made their, their lives and how they, they were shaped. Some of them were shaped by adversity, uh, by big enemies, by big problems, by big issues. They were, they were faced by those and that's what made them great. Cometh the time, cometh the, the man. But for David, he didn't say, yeah, Goliath made me great. He didn't say, yeah, living with the Philistines whenever I was in exile, that made me great. Didn't say living in the cave of Abdullam that made me great. He said, thy gentleness has made me great. The gentleness of God. You know, facing Goliath, I'm sure the ar army sat there going, right, we need to do something. We're, we're facing these, this Goliath and these Philistines for a couple of days, and it's a standoff, and we don't know how to deal with this. What are we going to do? Well, what we need to do is make a harder assault course for these troops. You know what? We, we maybe we need to get them better weapons. We need to get them better, better training. We need to get them better drilled, better disciplined, better formations. I'm sure the generals and the top brass were all thinking these thoughts. But God had another plan. He had a, a young man sitting on the, in the wilderness, sitting on the hills around Bethlehem, spending time with him. And there was something about David that God could use. 
And here David's saying, thy gentleness has made me great. He didn't say it was my might. He didn't say it was my ability. He didn't say it was my opportunities that I seized. He didn't say that it was something that I manufactured. He didn't even say it was God's power that made him great. He said it was thy gentleness. The way that you dealt with me, Lord, that's what made me great. And this is something I think that we have to appreciate. The way that he deals with us gently. The way he deals with us individually. He is acquainted with us. He knows what we are like. He knows what mankind's like. He knows what our thoughts are like. He knows how our minds can easily run in, in, in fear or in apprehension or in doubt. And he knows what we are like, but he still deals with us gently. His gentleness has made us great. David was acquainted with God, as I said. He had spent that time on the, on the hills of Brown Bethlehem tending the sheep. He knew God intimately. And something of the Spirit of God had brushed against his soul. He had a grip of God that no one had had, uh, quite had before. I'm sure others had, but he had a grip of God, an understanding, and a way of putting that into words and expressing it that stands solitary amongst his peers. He actually said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the, the tents of the wicked. As for an aggressive man, for a, a decisive man, that's a gentle thing to say. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be near to the presence of God, near to the house of God, near to the people of God, than to be in this tents with the rich people who are in the popularity. God had recognized something about him. It actually sells us in 1 Samuel 16. I'm not going to read it, but it talks about whenever Samuel went to the house of Jesse to, to, to find a, the, the next king of Israel and to anoint him. It says that he brought forward the sons. The first son came along and, he, and God said to him, look not at his, on his countenance nor on the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. There was something about it, David. And God had, through his grace and through his gentle interactions with him, disarmed his aggressive spirit. He had got in there in such a way that he could mold him and make him and shape him. Now, it's important that we understand gentleness not as weakness, because gentleness is not weakness. We caricature a lot of things in our lives and we take it to a certain meaning. For example, bad example, but as an example, lust, we think of that purely sexually, but it's not. There's other things people lust after, power, big houses, car, money, you know. So in the same way, we caricature gentleness. Gentleness here is not weakness. We talk about someone who is being gentle as someone who is strong, who is powerful, who is interacting with someone who is weaker. Strength, gentleness is the quality of someone with strength and power interacting with someone who is weaker. The word which is translated gentleness can also be translated as condescending or someone who is of authority and power interacting with someone who's on a less authority or less power than them. 
So powerful to powerless, strong to weak, rich to poor. That's the idea of a gentleness. I don't want us to think of when I say the gentleness of God has made me great, as David said, that he's talking about some sort of weakness. He's not. He is recognizing on he is recognizing that God, who could wipe him out, wipe him out for his sin, God has decided to interact in a way that wouldn't destroy him. He's decided to lift him up when he didn't have to. He decided to do something for him that he was not obliged to do. In this day and age, I think it's an important message, especially for uh, the church, that we realize that God has done a lot for us that he didn't have to do. The message of God's gentleness, it goes hand in hand with his grace. And it, 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 we are the people of God's grace. We walk in his grace, we live in his grace, and without it, we would be lost. And this is the greatest message of the church, that God has interacted with us in gentleness. From his power, he has interacted with us. He has lifted us up. He's done a work in our lives. Gentleness, the Hebrew word, it's a picture word. It's a picture of two words. The first one is a picture of an eye, and the second one is a picture of a seed representing continuance. To put them together, it's the eye of continuance. The idea being that the farmer watches over his livestock. I'm reading this off. <laughs> I can't remember. Watching over his livestock and crops <coughs> by keeping a close eye on them, and a shepherd guides, watches, protects, and cares for injuries. This is the image that David's looking at. This is the image that look he's talking about. He's really, in a nutshell, putting God, saying that you're the great shepherd of me. You know, it really does tie in with the 23rd Psalm. Lord is my shepherd. In gentleness, you have looked after me. In gentleness, you have led me. In gentleness, you've done so much for me. And I want to look at this in three ways tonight that I think that that I can see here easily. God's gentleness worked, gentleness worked in him, in changing him, in speaking to him, and in being with him through difficulties. So first of all, in his gentleness, God changes us. David had been a shepherd. He was a, then he was a servant, then a fugitive, then a king and the lower half of the kingdom and then a king of the whole kingdom. He'd been changed in many ways. He wasn't quite the same boy he was when he first met Goliath. He wasn't quite the same boy who'd come in and met Samuel in the house from tending the sheep. He'd been changed. Something about his, his training and his education had, uh, had taken effect. And I say education and training purposefully because that's what God had done. God had led him along a path and had changed him and affected him. God recognized something about his heart that he was moldable, that was teachable. It's a teachable spirit. It's important that we try to keep a teachable spirit where we're open to how God leads us and God guides us, that we're open to the word. And as we were saying in the, the room earlier, and we let the word affect us, we don't try and reinterpret the word to what, what our personal opinion is. And we, we let it affect us. And being teachable is what God's people should be. So here he is. This is David has been affected by this, by the word of God and by God. You know, my lecturer at Bible college, he used to talk about uh, someone, he says about people in, in, in various 
avenues in ministry and in around about the church, people who are involved in church, he would say, for example, like a, a, an accountant isn't necessarily the best person to do the books in the church. He says, but a steward is someone with a heart after God and a spirit of stewardship. The account will merely record where the money is spent, whereas a steward will be wise with the money. We'll, we'll use wisdom on the best ways to spend it and the best person to spend it on or whatever. There's a wisdom in it that doesn't come from the worldly education that comes from God, that comes from people who are desiring after his word, desiring after God and after his kingdom. You can see the difference between Saul and David. Saul was a big statuesque man. They were saying, let's give us a king. And then they, Saul walked along and they went, well, he's a strapping big lad. We'll make him king. Look at, he's tall. He's head and shoulders above all of us. He's broad, you know. If anyone looks kingly, he looks kingly. Even his hair looks pretty good. There, there's David, there's a wee shepherd boy. Yes, he's got, a, he's got a wee bit of a scruff there, you know, in a couple of thousand years, whenever having a wee scruffy beard's trendy, he'll be really cool looking. But back then they were looking at him going, I don't know about him, he's not very, you know. That's the way the world doesn't, the world evaluates things differently, but God sees on the inward parts. God sees on the heart and God works on the heart. God recognized something about the heart of David that he could use. In the life of Israel, this involvement of God meant uh, he could choose a great king to rule over them, protect them. And with the help of Samuel, David, and, and a few others, David was able to lift a ragtag group of tribes and create into a proper nation, a proper kingdom. He was teachable. And this is a wonderful thing about God. God takes us, he changes us. He changes us from where we were to where he wants us to be. He molds us and he makes us. He lifts us up. And it's important that we are teachable and that we respond to whenever God is trying to push us out of our comfort zone. You know, my wife's going to kill me, but Sharon's very, not very forward about singing and stuff. And I, I, I want to encourage her in it. So when we go down to my dad's, I insist she sings every time. You know, it's out of our comfort zone. You know, go on, praise God. You know, go ahead. And we all have those times in our lives where God asks us to do something, whether it's to go speak to someone we don't want to speak to, whether it's to shake hands with someone we wouldn't normally sit, shake hands with. I'm not going to mention moving seats because I know we're all very planted in our seats. So sitting beside other people's out of the question, but at least we can go and shake their hands. So God pushes us and he stretches us in order to develop us. You know, I, I, we all have a ministry and we all might not have a ministry where we're, we're, we're studying the word and we're standing behind a pulpit, but our ministry can be just talking to someone. And this is the great thing about God. God came along in his gentleness and he interacted with us. In John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. You know, the, the idea God came down, came down from where he was to where we are. He didn't come down as the king of kings and blow us out of our, 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 our world. He didn't come down and wipe us out. He came down to where we were. He interacted with us on our level so that in seeing him, we could identify with him. In seeing him, we could go, oh, hang on. This is a man like us. This is powerful. God, God came down to us. 
and gentleness. He got involved in our world. It says in Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. God did that. He came down into our world. In gentleness, he came down and interacted with us. He had a wonderful way about him. When you think about it, his interaction with the woman caught in adultery. She's caught in adultery and he says to her, his words to her was, where are thy accusers? Go thy way and sin no more. This is God. I mean, surely she's committed a sin. Surely she should be pointed out as they had done the, the, the Pharisees. But no, his interaction with her was gentle. Was gentle. It's a remarkable ability. When we interact with people who are uh, in an open sin that we, we can easily think of right now, we open interact with people who are openly in sin. We have difficulty separating that person from the sin. We have difficulty communicating with them because we're going like, all we want to do, our flesh rises up with the holy flesh and goes, oh, you're living in sin. Don't you know what the Bible says? God had that way. Jesus had that way of saying to them, interacting with them in gentleness and saying, go thy way and sin no more. She knew she had done wrong. Her sin had been pointed out to her, but he still interacted with gentleness. Someone asked me not that long ago, would Jesus make a cake for a certain, for a gay couple? And I said, well, he's not a baker. He never baked any cakes. And I said, would he make a table? And I said, probably. I said, the problem was he, he wouldn't affirm someone in their sin. He wouldn't leave them where they were lost in their sin. He would give them hope, give them something to move on. Get out of your sin. I've come down to give you a message to get out. Go, there's freedom. He encouraged them towards righteousness. One of the greatest stories, I, I absolutely love this story. Story of Zacchaeus, Luke 19. And I'm going to read it if you have your, if you want to turn it over there. Luke 19. I absolutely love this story because this, for me, in many ways, epitomizes a part of you know, Jesus' ability to interact with people where they were. Luke 19, verse 2. It says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide in thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he, he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For, as much, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man is come to seek and save that which was lost. You know, Jesus had a reputation. 
He had been going about doing good. He had been speaking in the synagogues and, and he had a reputation. He had followers. When I looked at this verse, I was thinking, you know, now this passage, he said, could not for the press because he was of little stature. Now I'm sure it is, he was, he was a short man, um, which I know a bit about. But I'm sure another angle, another aspect we can look at it, maybe it was his stature in the community. People wouldn't let him pass. Jesus had a reputation. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. They, they called him what, good rabbi. And he would go about, and he had people following him. He was becoming elevated in people's minds and in their appreciation. And they were, he was getting a bit of, you know, a bit of sway around town. And here he was talking to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, of all people, Zacchaeus, what would you go and speak to him for? Why would you go mess with him? Don't you know what we think of him? Don't you know what kind of person he is? Don't you know what he's done to the community, what he's done to his neighbors? Don't you know who he is? See, for Jesus, it was more important that interaction. He took the hit to his reputation. And as he walked with Zacchaeus, spent time with Zacchaeus, come down off the tree, I want to go eat at your house. Zacchaeus was going, he was looking, I'm sure he was looking all around him. What are the people going to say? Hey, me, me, we're going to go with me. It says he received them joyfully. You could almost say he received them in shock. What, do you want to go with me? Do you not know who I am? Do you not know what people think of me? As he started to walk, hang on. Jesus values me. He values spending time with me. He actually wants to come to my house for dinner. Something was happening. Jesus was changing him, his opinion, just by walking with him. We don't even know what he said. He might not have said anything, but he started to feel a wee bit more, you know what, maybe I am, have some worth. Maybe there is something I can do. Maybe I can make amends for what I've done. And obviously it came out. I'll give back, I'll give half of what I have to the poor. And if I've, I've done it, and then Jesus said, this day salvation's come to this house. So he lifted him up. He came to where he was and lifted him up. You know, if there's any, I know there's no one in this church, but see some Christians who won't go and mix with a certain community or with a certain people group because we don't like them, because of some carnal nationalism or something. You know, they need to get their head examined. Christians shouldn't be like that. We should be willing, so willing to go to the person in need, to lift them up, to show them God's grace and God's gentleness, elevate them from where they are. The gentleness of Jesus had made Zacchaeus great, had lifted him up. He actually says, now you're a son of Abraham. Oh, you know, you see, imagine Zacchaeus. <sighs> Haven't been called that before. <sighs> you know what? I'm going to start tithing regularly. I might even go to the synagogue. You know, God had changed him. That interaction, that gentleness. Yeah. I mean, Jesus didn't go in there and start yelling at him. Thy gentleness has made me great. God deals with us gently from power, powerful to powerless, from strength to weakness. God is like that. Thy gentleness hath made me great. There's something about God and his desire to, to, to help people who are in need. In Psalm 34, 
It, it, it talks about the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and deliver them out of all their troubles. And verse 18, the Lord is near to those who are, have a broken, and, a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. So who me? Who me? God help me. You know, when I thought of this sermon, thought of this verse, my, my topic tonight, I thought to myself, you know what? I'd love to hear someone preach this. I'd love to hear Carter Conlon preach this verse. I'd love to hear Carter, you know, someone, a great preacher, open this verse about thy, great, thy gentleness has made me great. I actually did, I thought that. But you know what? God has... A story with all of us. He's a way of communicating with all of us and talking to us. And in our, in our inability and in our failures, he can still get a message across. In his gentleness, he has made us great. The compassion of God means that he is not a bystander. Sympathy stands by and watches everything happen and goes, oh, but God gets involved. He comes and he lifts up. He encourages. He walked the dirty streets of Israel in the heat with the crowds. He went through so much. He came and like a lamb to the slaughter, didn't open his mouth. One of the greatest stories of the church is the cross. In his gentleness, he has made us great. At the cross, at that moment of supreme suffering, when all the sins of the world were poured onto him, when he could have, I think part of the biggest frustration, he could have called 10,000 angels and ended it like that, but he didn't. In the strength of character, which enabled him to be reserved in his abilities, reserving that ability to bring the angels on his side in that moment of frustration in some ways, in that moment of pain, in that moment of agony, he identified with us in a way which we, can't, which we sometimes I haven't even grasped. He came and he met us. In gentleness, he came down as a lamb to the slaughter. He came and he interacted. My dad told me a story. He was in America a number of years ago. Went to a ranch after preaching a sermon. My, my dad told me the story. I don't think it was about him, though. Um, but went to this man went to the ranch. And the guy says, you talked about Jesus as the lamb led to the slaughter. He said, let me, let me show you this. And he took him out, and there was the, the sheep, and he, uh, he got a sheep. And he said, they struggled with the sheep, and they, they killed the sheep. They struggled, and they, they slaughtered it. He says, now watch this. And he went, and he says, Bring a, bring a lamb. Went and picked up the lamb and brought the lamb, and he's holding in the hand the knife that had just killed the sheep and he's holding the knife and the lamb's sitting there just quietly, just quietly as a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't respond. He knew this must be. He knew this, he knew this was going to be the greatest sign of God's gentleness to mankind, of God's grace to mankind, of God's mercy. And he knew it had to be done. God's ultimate display of righteousness or of gentleness was at the cross Amidst all the violence and the agony and the pain of all that was going on, there he was showing that God loves us. God cares about us. God wants to change us. God wants to lead us on. 
F.W. Borum, pastor knows that I like F.W. Borum. He talks about God's grace. He says, and coming to the supreme example of this subject, he points out that it's a peculiarity of the Savior's greatness, not that he stopped, uh, stooped to the lowliest, but that without stooping, he penetrated to the humblest once. He not simply stepped aside to look at the most ignominious sorrows, but went directly to them and lived wholly in them. He came and lived amongst us, scattered glorious miracles and sacred truths along the hidden byways and in the mean recesses of existence, serving the beggar and the widow, blessing the child, healing the leprosy of body and of soul, and kneeling to wash even the traitor's feet. Here is a strange and marvelous and beautiful law, the loftiest for the lowliest, the greatest grace for the tiniest thorn. He went about doing good. He went about doing good in gentleness, communicating with us. Do you remember that the kids loved him? Kids loved to come and be with him, not because of his features, because of his gentleness of spirit. Romans 5, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the crowning reality of the message of Christ's passion, that God did not stand aloof from the edges of time. At the heart of the gospel, there is a cross, God identifying with man's suffering. Truly, his gentleness has made us great. So his gentleness changes us. It changed David from where he was. Next, his gentleness speaks to us. I'm going to get a bit of a roll now. Very familiar. Pastor's been doing the series on Elijah and Elisha. Um, he mentioned that passage, um, I think, at the early part, where, uh, or even if he didn't, Elijah about the still small voice. Uh, and so it was when Elijah heard it. It talks about the, the fire. First Kings 19 talks about, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. God and Elijah have a discussion and, and God speaks to him in a small, still small voice. David too had people who came to him and spoke to him from God. Of course, he started off with Samuel. He also had Nathan. He had Joab spoke to, confronted him one time. Gad spoke to him and confronted him. And they confronted him on what he was doing. And they challenged him. And sometimes even encouraged him on what he was doing. Said, listen, you know, you need to be, you, this is what God is saying. And he had people like that. And it was the voice of God to him. It wasn't an army that was coming rushing in because if an army had come rushing in, he would have responded in his aggressive way, called together the troops, sally forth and will defeat them. But God came to him in gentleness and spoke to him, confronted him on where he was and what he was doing, challenged him on it because of his words, uh, God's words. He spoke to him in order to challenge him. He speaks to us and sometimes to challenge us. He speaks to us sometimes in order to confirm what we're doing or to encourage us on our path. He speaks to us in, sometimes in, in ways not necessarily audibly. Sometimes he just gives us an inner peace, an inner witness that this is right. This is what God wants me to do. I feel led to do this. I feel the peace of God in this direction. I feel the peace of God on whatever I'm planning to do. And that's the way God speaks to us. 
And God does that, and that's, a, that's an amazing, amazing truth that God confirms things to us. We don't just live in a, a bubble waiting for God's return. Uh, we've got saved, he's done a work, that's happy days, now what? But he confirms to us, he speaks to us in a still small voice. Now, as I said, it might not be an audible still small voice, but it could be a still small voice from a verse that God brings to life for us. It could be the still small voice of someone on the other side of the church who comes along and says to us, you know, I'm praying for you. Hope you're doing well. David encountered the still small voice and it was often for him, it was a challenge because he was interacting with God okay, but at times he would get distracted and he would go off and, and actually says but the devil would play on his mind in certain things and encourage them to count the people. And, and Joab said to him, you shouldn't be counting the people. God told you not to. So God spoke to him in, st- on a, in a still small voice way to challenge him and to, to, to direct him. And God does that to us. He confirms it to us. He uses the still small voice of our sometimes, like I said, of verses, sometimes of our brothers and sisters in the Lord, comes along and encourages. And I just want to encourage us to do that. We should be doing that. We should be encouraging one another. We should be lifting each other up. We should be telling that person across the room who maybe you've seen something on Facebook. Maybe you've just heard gossip. Maybe you've heard something. We should be going over to that person and saying, I'm praying for you. I know you're going through some hard times. I know that the enemy's coming against you. I know that things have fallen apart or things have gone wrong, but you know what? I'm praying for you. We're very, very quick to look at some people and go, you know what? They'll get what they deserve. We're very quick to say, look at that mess over there and point it out and just sort of stand back and look at it like a car crash. We should be the people going over and saying, listen, God loves you. God still loves you. God hasn't given up on you. God can turn that situation around. There's people who, are, people who would rather stand back and judge. And you know what? I would break your heart. Stand back and just go, they deserve it. Do they really? Yes, people make mistakes, but we should be the ones going over and saying, you know, God loves you. God hasn't given up on you. God still wants to do something in your life. God's still got a future and a hope. God has a plan. God has a way of, a door of escape. God has a way. We should be those type of people because that's the type of person God is. He didn't go to the person and say, you know, you've got it. This is it. You're stuck living it. You made your bed. That's what you're getting. He didn't do that. He came along and he said, you know, keep going, 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 keep on going, keep going. This isn't the end. There's another door. There's another way. There's another level. There's another way. Keep going, keep going, keep going. That's all it is sometimes. It's still a small voice. God takes the words. God encourages people. God leads them on. He speaks to us. He speaks to us in that way. Sometimes as, as uh, um, Clifford, brother Clifford, um, was saying this morning about God encouraging, God challenging him, God speaking to him, God leading him, and that word that he brought this morning, he was sharing with us, encouraging, you know, keep going. God speaks to us. He comes to where we are and he wants us to keep going. He wants us to move. We should be ready and eager to encourage someone who's going through something, eager to say, I love you, brother. You know what? Do you know what? There's a lot of it in that. You know what? I love you. God loves you. God loves you, Ken.
God loves you with an everlasting love. God loves you. Pressed down, shaking out in measure. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. The old saying is, if you're going through hell, don't stop. Keep going. Keep going. And a word of encouragement in a time, at the right time, makes all the difference. The word of encouragement to someone who's going through something can be the thing that brings them deliverance, gives them that wee bit of energy to move on. Jamie and, and Kathy would know very well about encouragement, about lifting people up who are working out. Keep going, one more, that's it, one more, keep going. We should be like that with each other, keep going. People of encouragement, people who bring a word from God. And I'm not saying a word, thus saith the Lord, keep going. It's a keep going, just keep going. You know what, I know you're going through stuff and I don't need to know the details, but keep going, keep going. Press on, press on, press on, press on, press on, press on, press on. Keep going. Glory to God. Glory to God. You know what? You need, forget everything else I say tonight. You need to know it tonight. Keep going. 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 Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. The devil would have you put the brakes on and camp where you are. Keep going. Keep her lit. Glory to God. Glory to God. God is a way of telling us, encouraging us. Keep going. Keep going. Keep her lit. And he challenges us. And he stirs us up. He's got a way of communicating with us. Wonderful. Wonderful the things that God does. So in his gentleness, he changes us. And in God's gentleness, he speaks to us. And finally, in his gentleness, he is with us. He's with us every step of the way. And he's with us. This is the, the final and the greatest. He is with us. You know, sometimes he comes in with a mighty roar of uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah and he comes and he sweeps us out, sweeps us out of the problem. Or, and he, or else he sweeps the problem out of us. He just, sometimes he does that. But sometimes he comes along and he says, I'm here with you. Sometimes he comes and he just gives us a bit more grace to keep going. Sometimes he comes along and he just gives a wee bit more strength to keep going, to hold on a wee bit longer, to hold on, to go on a wee bit further, to believe God a wee bit more, to stand on the promises for another day, just one more day. Oh, praise God. One more day, stand on those promises. Oh, praise God, one more day. And before you know it, a week's passed. Before you know it, a month's passed. He's there with us. He might not deliver us. Sometimes he's doing things in the background. Sometimes he's just wanting us to hold on and move on. That sometimes he's doing a work in us. He's doing a work in us. He wants us, he wants us to be more like Christ. God wants us to be more like Christ. And that just doesn't happen. Yes, we are saved. Our standing before God is complete. We are, we are forgiven. We are, we are washed in the blood. We are adopted into his family. Adoption, what a wonderful uh, form of gentleness. But anyway, uh, we're adopted into the family. What a wonderful truth. You know, we are, that's it. But our state before God, God wants to work on us. He wants to develop us. He wants to lead us to where he wants us to be. He wants to, he, he's more interested in our character than in our comforts. And that's what he's all about. He wants to lead us. His gentleness is with us. He's, he's speaking to us. He's working on us and leading us from where we are to where he wants us to be. 
He comes along and he deposits grace in our souls. That's salvation. And then as we're going through things, as the stuff of life is coming on, he comes and he puts a bit more grace in and a bit more strength in. And you know what? If you had that time where you've looked back, looked back at something you've gone through and you've gone, how did I ever get through that? How did I ever survive? You know what? If I think of that right now, that I just, you know, I have no idea how I survived. But somewhere along the lines, he was there with us, walking with us, telling us gracious things, telling us about his love, telling us about his strength, telling us about his ability, telling us about his hope, telling us about our future. And he was working on us and he's with us in the middle of all those things. Again, F.W. Borum, talking about Paul and the thorn in the flesh that he prayed to have removed, but it wasn't removed. He was irritated by his thorn. He prayed repeatedly for its removal, but the only answer that he received was, my grace is sufficient for thee. Grace sufficient for a thorn? It is an almost ludicrous association of ideas. And he goes on to say, is it any wonder that this being so, Paul felt that his splinter positively shone? I will glory in it, he cried, that the power of Christ may, be, may uh, dwell upon me. He feels that his soul is like a rural hamlet into which a powerful regiment has marched. Every bed and barn is occupied by the soldiers. Who would not be irrita- irritated by a splinter, he asks, if the irritation leads to such an inrush of divine power and grace, it is like the, the pain of an oyster that is healed by a pearl. And so with Paul, as with Bunyan, the grace turns the scales. It is better to have the pain if it it brings the pearl. It is better to have the thorn in the one balance if it brings grace into the opposite balance, that one is better off with the thorns than without it. My grace is sufficient for thee. Grace of God, his ability to come alongside and put his arm around us. I'd say, keep going. I'm with you. You can do it. There's a pearl. There's a pearl. This, this, is, this irritation is going to lead to a pearl. It's going to lead to something great, something wonderful. God is a good God. It's wonderful. David looked back in his life and he looked at all that God had done for him, all the ways God had led him and interacted with him, and he reflected upon the great gentleness of God, the gentleness of God and his interaction. I pray tonight that we all can reflect on that gentleness in our lives, what he has done in us, what he is doing in us, and where he's leading us. Truly, he has been gentle, and his gentleness has made us great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.